I love having to do pre-marriage counseling with couples usually once a year. And, uh, and I go through it and it's a refresher for me and it sharpens me and it tunes me up. And I hear the same thing every year for years and years and years. And somehow it goes from the front of my mind to way back in the back of my mind and then it actually just falls out the back of my head. And then I watch that and, it, and it's right back there again. Yeah. And um, in fact, I was thinking about this, um, the word of God today for marriages and, and thought about uh, a mechanic and thought about uh, a marriage tune-up for a car or a truck. And it might look fine on the outside, the vehicle, but we need to be intentional about scheduling maintenance and tune-ups oil changes every 3,000 miles, so forth. With our van, we conduct a maintenance check to identify if anything is wrong, if it's out of alignment, deteriorated anything, negatively affecting the vehicle's performance. Ever so often, we conduct a tune-up to correct issues, to enhance the vehicle's performance, and today we're gonna take a look into God's word for a tune-up for marriage. And my goal, uh, it's not my goal, uh, first I'm going to offend the men and then I'm going to offend the women and by the time we're done no one will like Travis except for my wife she's a good lady whether you're married or not or whether you desire to be or not God's word has much for us to learn about the entity its purposes its bearing on our relationship to the Lord and to other people. And so, um, say, Travis, fix my spouse. Can't do it. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. I got two laughs. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're off to a great start. Hey, you can track uh, some sermon notes here. If you're watching online, these are available for download. And uh, just a lot of scripture references on there. So when we're all done, you can check it out for yourself and let God speak to you directly and one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and that would be awesome. Two, let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you that you created marriage, Lord, and it was good, and it was a good idea. I thank you, Lord, that you desire to be involved in our marriage. You don't want to be distant. You don't want to be the third wheel. You want to be the glue and the strength and the life and the vitality of our marriages. Lord, speak to us today, Lord. Lord, not just behavioral change, Lord, but Lord, heart renovation, Lord, new thoughts for our minds to embrace. Transform us, Lord, by your power, the power of your word and your Holy Spirit that we depend upon and we invite to be Lord and King of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> God created marriage. Why? Well, here's some reasons. We'll just go quickly and briefly. Reproduction. Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. We're doing pretty good. Lots of kids here at, uh, at Life Church. Reproduction. Second bullet point, companionship. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Companionship. 
Next bullet point, pleasure. You can read Song of Solomon on your own. I'm not going to go there today. Plenty of examples. Next one, teamwork. Teamwork, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11. The principle found therein is that if one falls down, another can help them up. If one is cold, the other can keep them warm. There's an increased productivity that happens through marriage. Marriage is good. Next bullet point, holiness. I could have put a ton of verses there. Instead, what popped into my mind was Gary Thomas. He did an entire series called The Sacred Marriage. And throughout this eight-week series, or however many weeks it is, he says, he asked the question throughout. He says, what if God's primary intent for your marriage isn't to make you happy, but holy? Now, I think there is happiness to be had in marriage, but an interesting question that he poses, where better and how better for your sin to be exposed than through and by your 24-7 spouse? They're good at seeing it. How else do we learn how to forgive and love if not our 24-7 spouse? How are we to develop kindness, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, then within the laboratory of marriage. It's a good laboratory for making us more like Christ if we allow it to do so. We become more like Jesus if we allow that. And if we want more help, we can have kids. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe write down in your notes, to make me holy as a reason for marriage. Maybe that's a different perspective, something that you haven't thought of. You think marriage is to make me happy. No, maybe more so is to help us rely on God, become more like Christ in our character, refining. So all these are good examples, um, great aspects of and reasons for marriage, but there's even a larger reason or maybe an encompassing reason for marriage, and that is, next bullet point, bigger picture. Throughout scripture, marriage paints a picture of our relationship with God. Marriage provides maybe the greatest example and opportunity for the world to observe and understand what union with God should or could be like. It involves trust and faithfulness, forgiveness, reward, it's accepting God's agape love, unconditional love. When you read the Bible, you see that God often positions himself and refers to himself as the husband. And the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, are often referred to or seen as his wife. In Isaiah 54, 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. God desires to have union, unity, oneness, desired to have that with Israel, with Judah, provided for them, protected, nourished Israel. Yet Israel and the nation of Judah, they always played the part of the harlot, foolish, rebellious. Hosea 5.3 says, I know what you are like, O Ephraim. You cannot hide yourself from me, O Israel. 
You have left me as a prostitute leaves her husband. You are utterly defiled. And if you have a chance to read the book of Hosea, uh, the prophet Hosea and his life, it was very symbolic. And uh, the book is written to show us, give us a picture of what the human race is in um, how the relationships looks between the human race and God, the Father. Uh, In Hosea, he actually purchases a woman out of the sex trade to free her and becomes, offers her um, his love as a husband. All of his wealth and all of his benefits and his resources and his care and protection and provision in saving her from this sex slave um, and, and she goes back into it. Again, and he purchases her out again, redeems her again. And powerful. Um, but throughout the Old Testament, all the prophets, they call out to wayward Israel to no avail. And yet we do see and we understand uh, clearly what was meant to be because there's moments in the Old Testament, the beauty of when Israel did trust the Lord and did rejoice in his presence and trust in his promises when they allowed themselves to receive his love and his goodness into their lives and they're dancing with tears, uh, rejoicing. Um, And so we see what it could and should look like. The prophets tried to reason with the nation of Israel, with Judah, but they also did something else. They prophesied of a coming Messiah of a savior who would take upon himself the punishment of their sin, who would give them his righteousness and his spirit to live inside their hearts. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, such a powerful prophecy in the Old Testament. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. That was the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God sent us a husband, the whole human race, a husband in the person of Jesus Christ. We're invited into the affectionate, passionate, unconditional, unending love of God. Through the cross, God says, I love you. He says, I will be your savior. I will be your husband. Allow me to forgive your sin take on my name. And we become one with God when we, when we move from self-reliance into a God dependence. Yeah. We accept his love and leadership, his provision, protection, his mission. We abide in his mercies and his grace. And that's the awesome love of God. In walking with him, he gives us a new name. He begins to give us new desires, new thoughts, new strength for each day. In growing to know him and love him more, he uses us to be a blessing on the earth, further his beautiful kingdom. There's a bigger picture that that marriage shows us, and it points 
to God and his desire and the union that we are to have with him. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. First question this morning, how well does your marriage reflect the glory of God? Because it is meant to do so. So let's start with the men, right? Maintenance check for men. Let's look, we're going to try to find, it's going to be hard. We're going to find an example of a man in the Bible who needed a marriage maintenance check. We don't have to look too far. We're going to start with Adam. (laughs) Genesis 2, 16 through 18. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Is that pretty clear instruction? Okay, now look what happens in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Notice that God gives that instruction to Adam, not Eve. And it's not till after the instruction is given that God creates Eve in verse 18. Now let's look at Genesis 3, verse 6. And, of course, the forbidden tree, um, we find a serpent at that tree tempting Eve and twisting God's word and the instructions. It says, you will not surely die, questioning Telling her, eat of it, because in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God himself. So verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Husband with her. Husband with her. Most scholars believe that Adam was standing right there when that happened. She didn't have to go look for him. She turned to him, her husband with him. And the idea being that he was either very passive or worse, probably worse, thinking if she eats and lives, then I will have some too. (laughs) If she eats and dies, I'll still be okay. Why wasn't Adam standing between his wife and the forbidden tree? Why didn't he grab the serpent by the neck and rip its head off? Whatever the case, he allowed his wife to be deceived. He does not nurture her or protect her. Subpoint one, maintenance checks. Adam failed his wife. Did not nurture his wife or protect her from harm, but he used her. And guess what happened when Adam and Eve bit into the fruit? They effectively severed their relationship with God. Their spirit died. As a result, disease, decay, death entered the world. Instead of trusting and obeying God, they decided to call their own shots. And now we all know 
what the results of that are. In Romans 5, 12, it says, therefore, just as through one man, how come it doesn't say one man and one woman? Or one woman? Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And we see it in the world's intention and disunity and all creation groans and the people are born with cancer and, and genetically we're messed up and we're far from God's ideal and from what he's instructed us to be culturally and as a world. Genesis 3, 9 through 12, <clears throat> then the Lord God... So after Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, they hid themselves or attempted to hide themselves and clothe themselves. They have all this shame and guilt now. There's, there's the knowledge that they received. Now they know that what life is like apart from trusting God yeah. and calling and trying to be God. Mm. Now it's shame and condemnation and guilt. Because why? Because they're guilty. Then the Lord called to Eve Nope. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? And of course, God knew where he was, right? The kid with the cookie crumbs all over his mouth, did you eat a cookie? Right. God knows he ate the cookie, and God knows where he is, right? So he said, verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Why do you have shame and guilt now? You're not innocent anymore and pure. Now you're, you have a defiled mind. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, yes, I did. And I'm sorry. No. Verse 12. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me so, and I like, Lawrence always points this out for us. He says, he blames two people. The woman whom you gave to me, there, let's put the fault here and here. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So not only does Adam fail to protect his wife when God confronts him with the sin of eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he, bl he blames both Eve and God himself in Genesis 12. Subpoint number, or next subpoint, Adam blamed his wife for his faults. Instead of playing the man card, he played the victim card. And that is a tendency for men today. We fail and then we blame. We don't take responsibility. We're passive. And then we reject responsibility instead of accepting it. We don't lead courageously. Question for the men. Men, how well are you nurturing, protecting, providing for your wife, physically, mentally, spiritually? How well are you doing that? If you do not have a believing wife, you're still responsible to God for how you nurture and care for her. She should meet Jesus through your interactions, you know? And here's how, by use of a biblical 
tune-up for men. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Man, I'm just going to pause there. Jesus died for our sins and he gave us his righteousness. Clothed, Clothed us in that. Gave his life. And this is what a husband is to do and to be for his wife. A husband, uh, that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. I give myself chocolate. I work out even though I don't want to, but I'm taking care of myself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for her. While being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Number one, husbands, husband, love your wife. That love there... So in English, we use the word love for everything. I love donuts. I love my wife. I love the bears. <laughs> but in, in the Greek, there's many different words that's used for love, and very purposefully, and it makes a lot more sense. The word used here is agape love. That's unconditional love. It's not just the affectionate love or the passionate love, those types of love. It's the love that is unconditional It is a love that is characterized by action and choice, not by feelings. Feelings are fun sometimes. When they're good, then they're fun. Feelings are fickle. They come and go. Feelings do not at all factor into the definition of love found in these verses with the word agape. Listen to this. You don't fall into love and out of love. People, you hear that, you know, I fell in love or we fell in love. No, 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 no. You, you fall into infatuation, certainly. You fall in and out of lust, sure. But agape love is a covenant love based upon commitment and demonstrated through action. Nothing to do initially or primarily with feelings. They're a byproduct of the commitment itself and the action and the choice that is a different definition than our culture understands love to be today. Love is all about feelings. And now I love you, and now tomorrow I don't love you. Then a couple weeks later, you're wearing a nice dress, and I love you again. (laughs) And then you yell at me, and now I don't love you. So God's love is agape love. Husband, do not put yourself ahead of your wife. Do not run off on your career path at the expense of your wife. Do not make her your slave, but serve her. Do not take advantage of your wife, but nurture her as Christ nurtures the church. You sacrifice yourself for her on a daily basis. You commit to presenting her before the Lord. 
You commit. Uh, your success, your comfort, your position is not more important than the spiritual, mental, physical well-being of your wife. You're responsible to God for how you love your wife. And all the ladies say, amen. Very quietly, yes. Mm -hmm. We'll ponder that a little bit. We'll hide those words in our heart. <laughs> right. <clears throat> As Christ loved the church. Genesis 2, 18. This is good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he knew that when he made Adam. I will make a helper who is just right for him. That word helper, you know the other times it's used in scripture? It's used for God. It's used for Jesus. It's used for the Holy Spirit. That word helper, God is our helper. Question, guys, can you be humble enough to be helped by your wife? Many of us have adopted the wrong perspective, but, but here's a secret for men. My wife is not an obstacle to success, but the road to success. I can get mad and I can resent my wife's correction and her advice, or I can embrace her perspectives as God's help in my life. That requires us not to be so prideful. If you have a godly wife, you have received a gift from God. Ask for her perspective and include her in the decisions, especially the big decisions. Proverbs 19.14. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. Proverbs 18.22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Can you be humble enough to be helped by your wife? Yeah, how does the Bible instruct how does the Bible instruct husbands to love their wives? We could probably make a good list, but there's two encompassing ways that stand out uh, primary that we find in 1 Peter 3, 7. So we're gonna look at those. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, and we'll see what precedes this in the next section. Husband, likewise, dwell with them, your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, Girls say, what? What the? We, we'll, we'll explain that a little. And being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm. That's an interesting sub-take on the end of that, that your prayers may not be hindered. Weaker vessel does not constitute a lesser value or an inequality before God, but rather an acknowledgement of roles and responsibility. Here's a picture of an eye. 
There it is. There's a little kid's eye, child's eye. Tell me, should that, should the pupil protect the eyelid? Or should the eyelid protect the pupil? Mm-hmm. You do not protect the eyelid with your pupil. No, the eyelid protects the pupil. The eyelid is not more valuable than the eyeball. It's speaking of weaker vessels. Same with God's design of male, female. There's physical and sociological differences that are to be acknowledged, not blurred. Our culture wants to blur them. Equality does not mean sameness. Sameness is to strip each role of its unique beauty, splendor, and strength. The verse goes on to say, um, back to 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, being heirs together with the grace of life. So God's salvation, his forgiveness, his mercies, his graces, his blessings, his treasures, his rewards are for both man and woman. Men and women do not think that man is of greater value than woman or that woman is of greater value than men. Is Christ inferior to God? No. Christ is one with God as woman is with man. So what is one way that we can show love to our wife? Well, from this passage, A, give understanding. Give understanding. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. How well do you understand your wife right now, today, on Sunday, March 28th, 2021? What are her current thoughts, concerns, desires, aspirations, needs, I would encourage men, encourage myself, to ask, how have you been doing over the past couple weeks? Here's some practical questions, guys. If you need some questions, you don't know what to say to your wife, here you go. How have you been doing over the past couple weeks? What has been on your mind? How has your body been feeling? Physically, how are you feeling? How is your relationship with the kids, with your friends, with your parents? What has God been speaking to you? Through his word. Are there any parts of scripture that you find exciting or challenging or confusing? Be aware of your wife. Study your wife. And Robert Lewis in Men's Fraternity talks about the no look pass of knowing and seeing and studying your wife in a way that you know when she is. Uh, where you can bless her. And he talks about the no-look pass in basketball being a thing of beauty. And so it made me think of my wife. I know that my wife likes a non-fat, caffeine-free, double caramel coconut latte. (laughs) And it's very infrequent, but on a couple occasions, I've surprised her with one of those, and that was a no-look pass. It was awesome. Understand your wife. Know what she likes, right? Know what she likes. Know when she is stressed. Know when she needs a break. Know when she needs encouragement. We're not to be so busy. I mean, that's our our first priority, loving our wife, understanding her. B, give honor. Husbands that belittle their wives may get a laugh in public, but they do not have great marriages. Only joking There's power in words and hurt over time. 
you know, even if joking, those words have power. How about leaving your wife in the dust when you arrive somewhere together? The man walks ahead of her. I've done this with Cassie. I walk into the church and I'm doing stuff and then she's dragging four or five, six kids in and carrying the car seat. What in the world? That's not honoring your wife. Honor your wife. Show appreciation and verbalize it. Who else is going to acknowledge some of her daily sacrifices that no one sees in her contributions? Tell her why she's so significant with your words and actions. A story goes of, um, uh, of an eight-cow wife. I don't know if you've heard that one. Eight cows, all right, in uh, the Pacific on an island. Um, the currency was usually livestock, and, um, and you would bargain with a, a father for his daughter's hand in marriage. And typically the going rate was two, three cows. Um, a great, amazing, beautiful, wise, smart wife might go for four cows, five cows. And, um, and that's, that's how it was done on the island. Well, a guy comes, a trader, um, a sea trader and so forth, and he's there, and he's a good man, good character, and he works among the people there. And, um, and there is a girl, Mahana, and her dad despises her and treats her like garbage. And her shoulders are slouched over, her hair is a mess. Um, the villagers, people make fun of her because she's so ugly. And she walks and holds that identity. And at one point, um, we hear of uh, the man, Johnny Lingo, offering the father eight cows for her. And, and that becomes, and he takes her, and they leave the island. And that becomes the running joke on the island. The great trader, Johnny Lingo, who spent eight cows on Mahana. Pretty funny. Until a year later, they come back to the island or the father goes and somehow they meet and he does not recognize her. She is the most beautiful woman and courageous and confident woman on the island because she has been treasured by Johnny Lingo and he's placed that price upon her. And uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating story and it was made into a movie. Um, Anyway... Encourage guys, if you're going to propose, don't have a cheap proposal. The message is, this is how much you mean to me. The value that Christ places on us is big. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't miss the end of this verse on uh, 1 Peter 3, that your prayers might not be hindered. First things first with God. Your faith and obedience begins with how you treat your wife. And and, And we pray into God, God... I need your help with my boss. Or God, I need discernment in business. Or I need a financial breakthrough. Lord, my body, I need a physical healing in my body. I can't. Lord, I want to experience your presence in your life. God, I need your peace. All good. All good things to ask for. But it's like asking for the keys before we've yet learned to walk when God might have a different priority list and timetable of what is best for us. And it starts with our wife. Starts with our wife. Look at Malachi 2, 13 through 16. There's, there may be, well, a, a ceiling between you and God. Not that God doesn't want to answer those prayers, but, but first things first. And God has told us what to be faithful in and, and something to do. And we're just, 
we're on, we're on another wavelength. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Talking about them petitioning the Lord. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. This is Old Testament material. Yet she is your companion and the wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. You do not deal treacherously. So, there's a picture. Um, men, you do not want to fail to nurture your wife. You do not want to blame your wife for your faults. You want to love her as Christ loved the church in two ways that we can do so, according to scriptures, by understanding her and honoring her. And all the women say, amen. Amen. Guys, your turn. Um, now it's your turn. Uh, women, now it's your turn. Maintenance check for women. All right. What is something that women have to look out for with a maintenance check? They hate me already. Oh! Genesis 3, 16. Here we go. God told Eve in the garden, this was after the fallout, after God held Adam responsible and Adam blamed his wife. He said to Eve in verse 16 that your desire will be for or to control him, man, but he will rule over you. We don't have to ask for a show of hands, but um, have any of the married women in here ever tried to control their husband, and how does that work? Does that, yeah. So here's the disclaimer. Uh, not saying that you have to speak the truth to your husband. Not saying that you endorse foolish or sinful behavior. Not saying that you enable him in any unhealthy addictions or habits. There's a disclaimer for the, the section. But a woman who attempts to control her husband will either be guilty of overstepping and using her husband or will at best have a very frustrating marriage ever trying to compete and or change her husband. Let's look at a wife who missed all of the scheduled maintenance checks and her name is Jezebel, right? Poster. Poster girl. A little background on Jezebel in 19th century. The marriage of Jezebel to Ahab was a political move in alliance between the Phoenicians and the Israelites. International arranged marriage was common practice to promote peace and prosperity, peace treaties, trade agreements. Yet God had instructed the Israelites throughout the Mosaic Covenant not to intermarry with those of heathen nations who are not dedicated to Yahweh, to God, Jehovah. But Ahab, an Israelite king, he married a Phoenician idol worshiper of Baal and Ashtoreth, a woman without any love or allegiance to God. Take note, singles, do not marry someone that does not have Jesus Christ as first place in their life. Number one, 
Jezebel controlled, overstepped, used her husband. 1 Kings 19.2. She was a headstrong, self-willed, domineering, answering for her husband, leading her husband in every decision. Maybe through seduction, maybe manipulation, maybe it was shaming, whatever the method, Jezebel controlled and overstepped her husband. She got him to build a house of worship for Baal beside the palace in Samaria. Also, uh, Ashtoreth, that is the idol of the fertility goddess. She brought 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtoreth from Phoenicia, housing them in the palace, fed them in royal style. Their duties were to promote the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth throughout the land. She didn't stop there. She looked to stamp out every remnant of Jehovah worship of Yahweh and to kill every true prophet of God. She had to have things completely her way and she almost succeeded except God used a man named Elijah to speak truth to the nation and he did signs and wonders, miracles through Elijah to help bring clarity to the people in that time. We could use that now in the United States, huh? Yeah, and, and one specific, um, at one point, uh, amazing sign and wonder that God provided for the nation. They saw it, Ahab saw it, and, um, and, uh, and so Ahab is convinced uh, of the truth in that moment that God is God and Baal and Ashtoreth are not. And yet he tells his wife, when he tells his wife, we see who leads in the relationship. Here it is, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2. And Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the evil prophets with the sword that were there at this event. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Why doesn't Ahab stop her when he knew the truth? So let the gods do to me and more also if I will not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Why didn't Ahab tell her no? Or, send, or stop the messenger? Or send reinforcements to Elijah? So Ahab is passive. He's controlled by his wife. He bears responsibility. But Jezebel was a bear. She was a bear. Did you know that it was specifically because of Jezebel that Ahab was noted as the worst king Israel ever had? Look at 1 Kings 21, 25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Number two, Jezebel incited her husband the Greek word for stirred up provides definition is instigated, provoked. It has kind of the idea of poking with a pin, just continually poking and prodding. Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. 
That would have been better for Ahab. Yeah. Yeah, he should have never married her in the first place. Yeah. So we spoke earlier of men receiving help from their wives, right? Men need to be open and receiving help from their wife, not taking offense when she offers advice and perspective. This was a challenge given to men. Equally important is it for wives to discern between what is needed, what, what is indeed helpful to communicate. And if it is, when and how it should be communicated. Timing can make a big difference. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Jezebel did not help her husband. She was not a helper at all. She controlled him. She incited him. She tore down her family, and she tore down the nation at the same time. Now, there are good ways that God instructs women to help and influence their husbands, and we're going to look at them. But here's the question for women. Wives, do you control and incite your husbands, or do you help your husbands? If you, have an, uh, if you do not have a believing husband, you are still responsible to God for how you help them. And here's how. So here's the biblical tune-up for women. Ephesians, man, and time is flying. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, and verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Subpoint: wife, respect your husband. God has a... Uh, a chain of command and a responsibility that he places upon man. That submission is not that of being a doormat, of letting your husband beat you up. It's not like the uh, UFC fighter attempting to force their opponent into submission. The biblical understanding of submission is that of entrusting oneself into the hands of another. And it does involve trust and vulnerability and deference, but it is in keeping with the ultimate responsibility that one has under Christ. And that's the key. In accordance with God's chain of authority, the husband's authority is, limita is limited. It has limitations. You have a picture of a bank robber up there. If a husband tells his wife to rob a bank, there is a higher authority that is already pronounced, do not steal. It's very objective. Biblical submission is a notable, a noble and beautiful thing. It's in agreement with God. If you're a strong-willed woman, please marry a stronger man. <laughs> Someone you can look up to attitudinally, sociologically, physically. If you're a single woman who will never submit to a husband, stay single. Right? You have that right. If you're already married, too late. God is now committed to helping you grow in grace. How does a woman show respect to her husband? The Bible speaks of many ways, but 
just two this morning. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, preceding verses, it says, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead or primarily with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. A, give lead. Give lead. Give your husband the lead according to God's design and instruction. Accept the authority of your husband, and not because he has all the answers, and not because he does everything right. Why? Because in marriage, God designed that the two individuals should become united into one entity. The two should become one flesh, and a house divided against itself will fail. It won't stand. Any one flesh that has two heads is usually called a monster, <laughs> right? Yeah, just got to cut out a lot of stuff here. Um, a secret for women, God did not create the husband as an obstacle to keep a wife from purpose and fulfillment. Rather, godly submission to one's husband is the road of purpose and fulfillment in God's plan. Question for wives, speaking to wives, do you get angry or bitter at your husband's undertakings? Or can you embrace your husband's vision as God's care? Can you be humble enough to be led? I totally get why a woman would want to control and usurp her husband. Who wants to take the position of vulnerability dependent upon someone whom they are not to control? And yet that is a picture of the love and the respect that God has with us and we with him. B, give example. First Peter said, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They'll be won over. They'll be won over by getting up in their face and yelling. No, no, it says, by observing your pure and relevant lives. The example speaks of beauty that comes from within, an unfading beauty of gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious to God. Yeah. How does a wife change her husband for good? By praying for him, by her example. Cassie, can you come up here for a second? Husbands are supposed to love their wives. They're supposed to lead their wives. And they are supposed to understand their wives. And they are supposed to honor their wives. And they are not to fail their wives, although we do and we will. We're not to blame our wives. 
women are to respect their husbands. They are to serve or submit to their husbands. And the ways they do that are through also through um, honoring and by their example. And so here's a picture of what this looks like. Let's step up here. So my wife, I love you so much. I love you. My husband, I respect you. No. <laughs> my wife, I give my life for you, my wife. My husband, I, I submit to your authority. I will lay down my life for you. I will serve you, my wife. My husband, I honor you. My wife. <laughs> That's an idea of biblical marriage. And it puts responsibility not on you to control the other person. She's not to control me. I don't control her. I lead, and she has free will. You know, But I lead in love and in service to her, giving of my life for her. And in the sense, um, she also respects, and she helps. She's my helper, and I receive that help. I should receive it. So thanks, darling. Yep. <clears throat> Lots of different types of marriages out there. People try the 50-50 partnership marriage. How, how, how well do partnerships, uh, how well do they do in business, in the business world? 90% or more fail, right? That's just a constant tension, chaos. Here's a final, uh, so this is a biblical view of marriage. Here's a final point, uh, not on your outline. Jesus was, was not compelled by duty and obligation but by his love for the Father and for us. We are not a ball and chain to God. Right. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy sent before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had a love and he had a joy. He had an eternal perspective. And he lovingly gave himself for the joy set before him. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Men, love your wife as unto the Lord. Yeah. Women, respect and love your husband as unto the Lord. Yeah. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. I conclude with this. There may be some benefit in serving your husband or wife out of duty and sacrifice more than by not serving at all, but way more reward in this life and in the next if, if we serve as unto the Lord for the joy set before us. If our service is contingent upon the response that we get from our spouse, we won't do very well, often be disappointed, but if our service is contingent upon pleasing the Lord, we will be able to love and respect with perseverance and gladness, knowing that God is proud and will reward us. We can have strong families at Life Church because we depend on the Lord and because we serve one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage and the blessings inerrant. Such a beautiful thing, Lord. Lord, I pray for husbands, Lord, that they would be connected to you because you're the source of life. 
for them, Lord, and you'd fill them with love for their wife. You would fill them with a love, Lord, an agape love for their wife. A sacrificial love, a love, Lord, you'd fill them with joy, Lord, in serving their wife. Purpose, Lord, fulfillment, Lord, in helping their wife become all that you have for them to be. Lord, I pray for wives that they might receive greater revelation of your love, God, that their identity would be anchored in your love. I thank you, God, for your care for them. I pray for the wives here, Lord, that they would grow in confidence in their calling, that you would put inside them, Lord, a great love, Lord, for their husbands and the type of love, Lord, that you describe within your word. Lord, bless the marriages of Life Church and the families, Lord. May, us be, may we be an example, Lord, in this community. And may we experience, Lord, your pride and your blessings and your favor in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.